You're listening to the Old Soul Podcast. My name is Ryan Dockery, and for this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with a collegiate friend of mine, Taylor Hibble. She's currently the coordinator of the Bonner program at Stetson University, my alma mater, and is working towards her doctorate in education administration. Our conversation consisted of the trends and hot topics in higher ed and where the industry is going, especially with concern to mental health, artificial intelligence, and the changing needs of the workforce. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen, and please rate and review if you can spare a few seconds. I would greatly appreciate it. Once again, I am Ryan, and you're listening to the Old Soul Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Old Soul Podcast. My name is Ryan Dockery, and today I am pretty excited um, to be back at my alma mater, Stetson University in uh, Deland, Florida, with a excellent friend of mine. Her name is Taylor Hibble, and she is currently um, still in the process of studying for her doctorate in education, particularly in organization um, organization management, uh, to be able, in a specific concentration with higher ed. Yeah. Yeah. And um, she's a wonderful human. She has done immense amount of work in the Central Florida area. And honestly, I would, with a big part of the Bonner program here at Stetson University, um, been involved with the Bonner program for, oh my God, number of years. Yeah. Um, we both were in the program. We were in the program at the same time, but you stayed on and, and you know, continued to build capacity here and, and really be... I mean, a driving force of change and benefit to this university as a whole. Um, I truly don't believe it would be the same without you here. You are too kind. Um, and I, you know, I was under your leadership for sure well, in my last couple of years in the Bonner program, and it was a wonderful time. Um, I really felt like the, the the program made a lot of impact during that mm-hmm. time. So it was it was really great, and I'm I'm thrilled to see where it's going to go in the future for sure. Um, today, we are going to be focusing in on higher education, college, the, the role of the university um, and college, uh, you know, the degree and how its place in society is changing, how its value in the workforce is changing, mm-hmm. um, the implications and, and impacts of artificial intelligence on uh, academic integrity, and also just in terms of how that uh, artificial intelligence plays into a benefit and how colleges can leverage that as something else to teach and something else to be able to make relevant. Because I think at, you know, at the end of the day, what is a university if not to teach what has happened, what is happening and what's going to happen, especially in terms of how we learn and we produce things and we grow and how we change the world. And I think that um, right now with the pace of everything and this is at this point cliche how fast everything moves right i don't think it's slowing down anytime soon um and i think oftentimes we forget that that's just the new normal (laughs) you know things move quickly now and um it's important to uh not try to be abreast on everything but to focus in and specialize on the things that you want to do so um, I find your work and your, um, you know, your progression to be an example example of that. It's really focusing in on what's important and what mm-hmm. you know what you can change, what you can influence. Because we can cast our net wide and really think we can impact everything. And sure. you know, to be a generalist is perfectly fine. It's you know it's important, but to be a master and and really focus in on um, community engagement and building out the really life changing, life altering. Mm-hmm. Programs that a co- that a community has um, are are big part of this university and this town um, and your work. So please, 
you know, I hope my introduction did it justice. No, no. It, thank you for all of your kind words. And it's, you know, I'm really excited that we get to spend some time together today. Um, and I think, you know, it's fun to get to talk about the role of higher education and the role of community engagement in higher education. I think that a lot of folks, you know, are waking up to see that, you know, institutions of higher education have not just an academic mission, but a civic mission as well. And so how are we connecting what we're learning in the classroom, the academic mission, with why we're learning it, the civic mis mission. And that's kind of where Bonner programs come into play, Centers for Community Engagement come into play. And so it's really exciting to, you know, think about how we can, you know, transform lives of students, but also communities and make, you know, an actual real difference with the knowledge that people are gaining in, you know, colleges and universities too. So. Yeah. And to take a quick step back, cause I don't think I, I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast yet is what the Bonner program is. Yeah. Yeah. And the Bonner community as a whole. Yeah. yeah. So Bonner, our uh, motto is access to education, opportunity to serve. And um, here at Setson, we've had Bonner since 2005. The foundation has been around for um, a number of years since 1990. So we're part of a national network, which is great because we each get to try kind of our own things and find best practices to share across the network. And so Bonner is a demanding and developmental community engagement experience. So students are working in the community for about 10 hours a week um, for every week of the semester. They're also receiving a generous financial aid, you know, opportunity because of that work. And so they're gaining really valuable leadership and professional skills while they're also getting to kind of connect what they're learning in the classroom with what they might want to do in the future with community needs. And so it's really values driven work. People can kind of clarify what their values are or maybe just cement what they already were and they get to figure out, you know, what they might want to do for the rest of their life too. And all of that while they're still in college. So it's an incredible program. I was in the program as a student, like you mentioned, and like it truly did alter the course of my life. Like I'm sure it was for you too, where I would not be the person I am and I wouldn't have the incredible people in my life that I do without Bonner. So I can rave about it too, because yeah. I will say that it is a very being, so moving away from your home and coming to college, you, you lose a big part of, you know, your growing up, your community, the people you were surrounded mm -hmm. with and, and everything that you grew to um, find purpose in. So whenever you come to, to uh, college, there's a learning curve and there's this also this emptiness of, okay, well, what is the purpose of my life now besides going to school, you know, and, and trying to find my mm -hmm. way? And Bonner had this really good way of saying, Here's a, here's a purpose. Here's a higher purpose to help people to, you know, to grow. But we're not going to just farm you for your volunteerism. We're going to actually reinvest in you and help you get something out of this reciprocity. And, and you know, that's one of the, one of the biggest benefits for me to Bonner is that it wasn't a program that felt like it was draining me. Mm -hmm. It was giving me something that I needed and it was allowing me, giving me the platform and the opportunity to do something that I felt was purposeful. Yeah. So it wasn't a give and take to the Bonner program. It was a give and take to the community and Bonner was just brokering that. And I feel that that is a really, really powerful tool. Mm -hmm. Um, and we spoke about it in our, in our pre-show conversation. <laughs> um, it's a powerful tool for universities. Yeah. It's a powerful tool for colleges. And you mentioned retainment and mm -hmm. actually being able to garner um, and keep students. Because if you give a student a purpose, if you give them a mission outside of their own, 
you know, academic pursuits, which you, everyone has an academic pursuit if they're in college, hopefully, but it gives them a way to actually employ some of the stuff they're learning. And that's one of the benefits that I loved about Bonner was that if I, if I was learning it in the classroom, Bonner gave me this, <clears throat> this tabletop mm-hmm. to be able to say, okay, well, I, I learned this information and now I'm going to go and I'm going to try and figure out a way how to fit this puzzle piece in with my site, with my site work. Exactly. <clears throat> and that, and, and the, 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 the terminology is sweet spot. And I'll be honest, I hate that terminology. <laughs> it's just like, oh, sweet spot. Like, I don't know why, but it's um, having, but that idea of mm-hmm. overlap, because that's how you learn to then take what you've learned and apply it to your job after college, because mm-hmm. you've done it already. You've said, you know, I do know how to edit that spreadsheet, or I do know how to write that grant. Or I, because I, I've, I've written essays that are. Yeah. You have the you skills. Know, you have the skills. So, you know, we talked about how um, structure and the structure that the Bonner program adds mm-hmm. to the Stetson experience has a powerful af- effect on keeping students engaged. Mm-hmm. Talk on a little more. Yeah. So we know, and a lot of researchers, you know, and scholars in the higher education space have shown that, like, academic and social engagement outside of the classroom matters and so the more that students are engaged outside of the classroom the more likely they are to retain and you know retention is a big buzzword right now in higher education and what retention means is that a student is you know starting in one fall semester and coming back that next year and so it's really related to persistence too which is when somebody starts in the fall and comes back for the spring and a lot of institutions are really struggling with retention because our students are different than the students, you know, that came to college even four years ago and even before that because, you know, obviously COVID fundamentally shifted a lot of things. And so our students are, you know, coming to college with different levels of preparation, experiences and skills. They're coming with different mental health challenges. They're coming with different life experiences. They're coming just with a lot of baggage too that like we need to be ready to support. And so with that, like we need to be able to have the structure like you're talking about the and the engagement opportunities for students so that they want to stay here and we need to make it a good experience because there's a lot of competition in this space there's also a lot of different options for students you know they see that there are other paths outside of college and they also see that sometimes college isn't supporting them and i think that students now are recognizing like when an environment isn't supportive you leave it and so that can be really tough for institutions that are, you know, struggling with how to retain students and how to make sure that, you know, students are succeeding, meeting learning outcomes, and that are have they're having the experiences that we want them to have. So yeah, and I, I think one of the things that COVID did was it really opened the conversation to how fucked up the mm-hmm. world tends to be, um, and it really put. Uh, the worst on display of humanity. So I think a lot of students having seen this lived at firsthand and got the brunt of it, honestly, um, they're coming to college and they're like, you know, I've seen all of this really harsh stuff, a a really society, societal traumatic event, right. Mm -hmm. That makes you yearn for higher purpose and more. So whenever you go to college you're like, well, now I have to sit through this calculus class. Like, it's like, it doesn't feel it. Their experience don't match with what they, they thought college was going to be Mm -hmm. this life changing, you know, opportunity. But I think that what college is shifting to be is a place where those conversations where you have that traumatic event in, in, in life, how you can now make that your power how you can say, okay, let me take this 
event, the mm-hmm. COVID and, and this experience and all the things I learned and learn how to, you know, bring people together in conversations. I think, you know, COVID really highlighted how, you know, it, now all of a sudden we all have very different opinions and different, it's hard to connect again. Mm. And I think that college is an equalizer. Mm. It allows people to come together and say, everyone just hear everybody out. <laughs> you know, yeah, you have know the brave conversation. Space rules. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Have the conversation and be willing to listen, be willing to challenge, mm-hmm. but be willing to learn amidst it all. Because we're not here to push anything. We're mm. just here to try and figure it out. Because yeah. we, we don't know either. You know, and I think that that's where institutions in their retainment, it's an institution has to give a student a reason to stay other than we're going to give you a degree or you're going to earn a degree. Mm-hmm. You need to feel that you've reached a level of um, impact. Mm. You know, and that's where I think the Bonner program, they, you see that benefit of retention to this to the university is yeah you you are you know having the college experience of getting a getting a degree and you know still participating you know in fraternities and on-campus events but you also have this wonderful off-campus third place existence Mm -hmm. where you get to put all the school away and completely learn something new Mm -hmm. that you never even thought like for me and my site i was at a local you know a local after-school care program, and I never thought ever I wanted to be involved in an after-school care program until I went and I saw it and I was like, hmm, this is, this is easy enough to where if I go, I'm not going to be mentally exhausted. I'm going to be able to still show up, mm-hmm. right? That was one of my big things in starting was, oh my God, I'm after all the school and then to go volunteer 10 hours a week? Oh my goodness, it's going to be a lot. Mm-hmm. But once I got into it, it was like, no, this... It's, it's refreshing. It's like something okay, you look forward something to. You're, yeah, yeah. You don't have to. You don't have to bring school into it, and you don't. It doesn't have to be a place to be exhausting. So, I think that in terms of the structure of higher education, if institutions had more things like Bonner and had more places and opportunities, not just service hours, not just you know, opportunities to volunteer in the community, which are important, mm-hmm. but if actual stood up capacity to say. We are a university in this town, and these are the reasons. These are the ways we are consistently providing and reinvesting in the town with our students' help mm-hmm. um, for their benefit. You yeah, know? and I think that institutions have a key um, ability to do that, since they're, you know, they're they're plopped in a city, and they especially for like Deland, I feel that a lot of students come here and then they leave. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's very important for. Deland to get a lot of you know value out of the students in terms of reinvestment in the community and Bonner's a massive avenue for that mm-hmm. um, for the whole Volusia County you know uh, municipality and government or right, you yeah. know state <laughs> I don't know the county but so Bonner's unique position is in my opinion really awesome um, but and I, I we could talk about it all the time <laughs> we really could because it's it is a it's a global, it's not global, it's national, but it does, you know, our, our impacts in the, the things that students are taught and the tough conversations that they have are taken all around the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, I mean, I remember we had students from, you know, Africa, we had students from South America, we had students literally from Southeast Asia, and all of those experiences, all of those stories come together. Mm-hmm. And 
it is incredible how the the power of someone's experience and their their lamenting of that experience changes someone's mind Mm -hmm. quickly very quickly i have had you know experiences where people had no idea you know the immense difficulty it is to immigrate to this country Mm. and then all of a sudden they have someone in their life that did it or is in the process of it and they tell them their story and they're like oh my god i'm i'm i can no longer think a certain way or vote a certain way or you know because now you've been exposed to it i've been exposed to Mm -hmm. it and i have an emotional you know emotional tie and a logical tie Mm -hmm. and i think college has a very unique value prop in that of having those conversations Mm. and that's can tie into retention too Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. where you're able to you know expose folks to different things they're able to have relationships and i think that connects back to what we were also talking about in the pre-show of like you know a main reason that folks do come to college sometimes is like the networks you develop in college right like not only are you developing really great like communities that are supporting you socially but also you know you're developing those professional communities that are socializing you with the values of your future professions and that are helping you kind of figure out like who are your mentors who are the people that can help you figure out what you want to do for your the rest of your life you know and who who are who is going to support you in doing that and that's a you know really great benefit of a lot of different universities that they can help you connect and open doors that you might not have even known about like they colleges and the people working you know at these institutions can help you ask questions that you didn't know to ask and help connect you with people that you didn't know you needed to know. Right. So, so I, what do you think the main problem is right now in terms of how other, you know, in terms of retention? Why, mm. why are universities losing their value proposition? And, you know, I know I just said that all of these wonderful things that universities provide, but I still feel like we're on the trend of, you know, um, not wanting to go to college, not seeing the value in it, and not, you know, not willing to. I mean, the debt and the financial implication is big. Mm-hmm. Bonner is a massive help to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wouldn't have been able to afford Stetson yeah. had it not been for Bonner. Um, so, it, in my mind, what do you see the big problem is? Like, what's the elephant in the room for higher education retaining and then being able to? give students purpose beyond academics. Yeah. I think you already hit on, you know, one of the main reasons, right? Like retention is a very complicated, you know, thing to tackle where, you know, it's made up of a lot of different parts and there's, you know, mathematical ways that a lot of institutions, you know, model what they think their persistence and retention will look like. And a lot of times what that goes into that, a lot of times it's, you know, pre-college factors and then things that happen to the student while they're at at school. And so cost, like you mentioned, is a huge thing that impacts retention. And I think that that's a conversation that a lot of institutions are having about affordability and the value proposition. Like we're talking about, like, are people getting what they are paying for? Um, You know, academics, like are people having the academic experiences that they think they're going to have and that they should have? You know, are students receiving the support that they, you know, need to be successful? And I think that's kind of the elephant in the room, like you're saying. Like, I I think that we often say we care about student success and that we care about student support. But I think that a lot of institutions really struggle with properly resourcing that work and doing the really hard work of supporting students and of helping them, you know, make it to the finish line of graduation and just 
supporting them as people, not just students. And I think that we struggle with that. And I think like a lot of institutions that you wouldn't think struggle with student support do struggle. And, you know, it looks like food insecurity on campus. It looks like... That's a big one that I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people like, especially at Stetson, it's a private institution, you know, it's $65,000 plus to go here. A lot of times people have this perception that it's rich, you know, students and they're, you know, like, food insecurity like no these kids are rich like no absolutely not like 96 percent of our students on campus receive some sort of financial aid many of them are pell eligible which means that they you know are low income students as well and so like food insecurity is a huge conversation on campus but one that you know like I would say we probably don't provide enough resources to address. Yeah. You know, like we do have an on-campus food pantry, but like does every student know about it and have access yeah. to it? Those sorts of things. And so there's a lot of different ways in that piece of like the cost, the academic engagement, and the student support side of things that I think they're all interrelated and impact how an institution, you know, how successful an institution is in terms of retention. And you mentioned mental health. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is, I, I talk a lot about mental health, ADHD on yeah. this on this podcast because I suffer from ADHD. Um, and also I, I feel that mental health resources are, everybody, unfortunately, I feel that mental health in the, the buzzword of it comes with a connotation of weakness. And it's like, mm. absolutely not. For someone to seek out mental health means that they're admitting that they need help. It's a, yeah. it's a relinquishment of pride. It's, it's a very unhuman thing to do. It goes against the grain in a lot of ways. But for institutions to be able to be supportive of mental health, they walk a fine line of mm-hmm. enforcement and maintaining their standards, right? Their like degree that standards yeah. and accountability and grace, as you mentioned mm-hmm. in our pre-show. And and in my mind, that's a super difficult. That that's practically the same thing the justice system walks. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to have order and keep things in line and also account for the innumerable variables mm-hmm. that can some that someone can experience in their lives in I didn't know that 96% of Stetson students came from, were Pell eligible and which, you know, in my that opinion. That received financially. Not oh, all received, are okay. um, Pell eligible. But yes, lots, we do have lots of Pell eligible students too. And a good, I imagine a good portion of that come from food insecure situations. Yeah, potentially. We don't um, track that, but I'm sure if we looked into it, yeah. Yeah. And, and in my mind, that means that they're coming to school with that same mentality. So it's still a survival mindset, mm-hmm. right? And it's very difficult to learn in a survival mindset. Um, and it's really a, how, how does that impact their long-term growth and development? Mm -hmm. How does that impact the quality of the education? Because you're totally correct in that if someone, you know, the the institution extends this financial aid and they don't show up because at the end of the day, it's college is actually a very stabilizing situation. You know, it's these days, you're always going to school these days. Oftentimes you have a dorm room, you have a separate space. But a lot of students who come from a food insecure situation or an in, in, a situation that is not stable mentally, mm-hmm. it's, it's unnerving. It's unnerving to switch from an unstable situation to a stable situation. Yeah, it's tough to transition into college. And um, I'm wondering, how does an institution identify and support that? How does it get to that point? Yeah, so a lot of times institutions um, will have kind of their first year orientation, and that is a good way to kind of start identifying students that are struggling in that space. Um, 
almost all institutions will also have a behavioral care team where if a student is, you know, displaying indicators where like we might have a well-being concerned, either like we that comes up in social settings or academic settings, you know, um, folks can submit a report and usually it's run through like a dean of students office or some sort of case management office on a campus. We'll, they'll be able to, you know, meet and kind of do a risk assessment on this student and then connect them with the appropriate resources and an appropriate support person. And so that's a way that you kind of support some of the students like we're chatting about. Um, And then we also do a lot of outreach programs. And so a lot of different institutions will have, you know, wellness programs that they have, um, you know, some outreach for. Um, They'll have, you know, different folks doing prevention work on campus too, to learn about, you know, stress, burnout, anxiety, like all of the things that, you know, go into, you know, folks eventually having a, a you know, mental health crisis if they're not addressing these things, like they're, they're doing some of that prevention work too. So a lot of different ways that um, folks are kind of managing risks with students. So where is the future of this going? How is, how, now with all the information we know regarding, and I know it's a big, broad question, yeah. so no more, you know, but how do we begin to move forward with higher education, knowing the implications that it has on mental health, removing someone from their home situation, putting them in a different, mm-hmm. sometimes a whole different country, and then how do you take and add the stress of learning on top of that? And I know it's been done for decades, hundreds of years now. But is there a better way? And given the internet, giving artificial intelligence, and given the ways that our world is very quickly changing, how do, what's college's role? How is the university experience going to change? Yeah, that's a huge question. I think that, right? like, <laughs> wow. yeah. yeah, how long do we have now? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. As much time so, as you want. <laughs> yeah, so, like, yeah, you're right that colleges are changing. And I think that, you know, we can anticipate some of those changes and some of those, like, I don't think that we could have seen, you know, some of the changes, the positive changes that came after COVID, right? Like even 10 years ago, I don't think that we would have seen, you know, as many colleges being open to having some of the accommodations that they have, the online support that they have, you know, some of just like the physical changes that institutions have made. Like we wouldn't have seen that if not for COVID. So I think that there is the potential for, you know, bigger disruptions to come in the next few years too. But like we've been talking about, kind of the common theme, like I, I think a lot of institutions will see shifts in the types of students that they're accepting, you know, as... When you say that, what do you mean? Yeah, so like as access to college, you know, becomes better, which is good. We want college to be more accessible. You're also going to accept students, like we've been talking about, that have, you know, different mental health histories, that have different support needs, that have, you know, different lived experiences that will require more support. And so colleges need to have structures and programs and things in place to be able to support those students. And so what, what that might look like, a lot of different things. Like that might look like expanding your counseling office through really, you know, innovative ways, like maybe utilizing, you know, mental health counseling interns, you know, doing, you know, things on TikTok, like showing coping skills on TikTok. Like it, it can look like a lot of really creative ways to increase support services. Like, do students always need to come in to, you know, sign paperwork for accommodations or have a meeting to do these things? Probably not. But like, are we still requiring that? And so like those types of little changes too in policies and procedures to make things more accessible for students. So that's just like one section of how I think a lot of, you know, um, colleges will kind of grow and change. But there's a lot of changes, I think, that will come with, um, you know, 
financial aid and costs with colleges, a lot of changes with academics, like we've been talking about kind of um, a little bit talking around the point of AI, like I think that that is a way that a lot of things will change with academics. So just a lot of different ways that colleges are changing. So how does how does the college university situation walk the line of accountability and um, or not accountability, um, accommodations, accountability and integrity in terms yeah. of academics and in terms of making sure that the degree maintains value? Yeah, I think that's a big conversation right now. And so, like, I don't have a, a, a perfect answer yet, or a great answer. Yeah, <laughs> oh, like, fine. I don't. Yeah, just because, like, right now, especially, like, it sets in, like, we're still having the conversation of what this looks like. We're still doing a lot of research, talking to people, talking to experts, getting student input, and, like, kind of surveying the land to just understand what this looks like. And so I think that, you know, you're right. Like, it's a conversation about, like, how do you maintain standards while also having grace for folks and, you know, being more accessible. And so what it, a lot of times, like, what that looks like is changing, you know, how we do things from, you know, oh, we've always done it this way to, like, okay, well, how do we use this the, this new reality to make sure that we're, we're providing a valuable experience? For instance, like, with AI, you know, a lot of professors are, you know, embracing, like, the you know, movement of ungrading, you know, and, or labor-based really? grading. And what, uh, what's labor-based grading? Yeah. So like putting in, like thinking about, you know, the labor that folks are putting into an assignment. So the pre-planning hmm. of an, uh, an essay, not the actual essay, like the actual essay is not the thing that it's graded. It is the thought and the creativity behind that and the like, you know, outlines and sorts of the things that you're, you might be able to do in class where you might not be as likely to use AI for example. So, and then like ungrading, thinking about like effort versus a letter grade kind of thing. That is very interesting because that in my, in my mind actually parallels more with the real world Mm -hmm. on how work gets done. You know, an, an, an essay is kind of written in a vacuum. Right. You know, it's written by one person with research, you know, with, you know, they may have peer review and they turn it in. Whereas with this labor based standard, that's more like the real world and how you do things in teams. But mm-hmm. you're not, you know, you're not doing it in te- in teams, you're not writing an essay with, you know, with other people, but you are breaking it out it's more about the process as a whole which is the same as in the real world it's mm-hmm. more about the process the as critical a whole thinking piece de- of it yeah right getting to the proposal mm-hmm. getting to the develop you know the final piece and it's not all about the final piece and i think that that's how a lot of um the the worry about chat gpt and mm-hmm. you know the, the the fake essays and the academic integrity i mean it goes to show you, in my mind, and how I'm looking at it, is that if a stu- if a computer can just spit out an essay that sounds like a human being, maybe that's what the students are doing too. They're just spitting out an essay. And a lot of professors, like we are kind of saying, like they're not using essays in their classes anymore. Like a lot of professors are moving to more creative assignments. Like what does it look like to have, you know, different modalities for submitting things? So videos, you know, or where you are doing something that's more creative, like having like an, an art piece or a collage of 
photos and words to explain a concept? What does it look like to do an interview? And how can AI help you with those things? Like, yeah, it's fine if you use AI to help you come up with the interview questions, but it's not replacing the learning that's happening from a conversation like we're having now and learning from each other. Exactly. Or, you know, with the video, like, okay, yeah, maybe AI helps you with your outline and you kind of refine it through different prompts. A lot of professors are also wanting to show you how to use AI in the classroom and thinking about, you know, how can you, you know, use it in a more productive and, you know, thoughtful way. And I think that that's something we're still learning, but I'm excited to see how we, you know, can use it and learn, you know, how to use it over the next few years because AI is not going away and we need to teach our students how to use it. Otherwise they're using it without our support and kind of, encourage wild wild west yeah and so you want to have policies to you know talk about how we use it but also appropriate training too well and and, you know to be honest the business world is embracing it Mm -hmm. the business world is running towards it yeah because it they may be afraid of it in certain aspects but in terms of data analysis and being able to drive insights from it it's an it's it's incredible how, you know, the benefit that an mm-hmm. institution can have by employing it. So whenever a student graduates with a business or any degree and they enter into the workforce, they're going to run into it in some capacity. And they, you know, it, it's it's of their benefit to know about it, to know how to communicate with it. And when I say communicate with it, I mean either write code for it or literally communicate with it. Because if they don't know how to do that, then I believe that they're set at a disadvantage to their peers. And there may not be as, you know... They may not be up to the value mm-hmm. as that that they can be had the university embraced it. And you know, I think if we roll the you know if we roll it back to you know social justice and community engagement, there's nothing more powerful than something that can take in all the variables mm-hmm. of intersectionality. I mean, mm-hmm. with one given one you know, income inequality or, or one person, you know, in a, in a um, situation that they need help. Mm-hmm. There are so, I mean, you, you did work at the Spring Hill Resource Center where, I mean, everything came. You know, you met people that were, you know, afflicted with all kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. whether it be illness, economic poverty, or, you know, inability, even physical ailments. AI is the ability to take into account everything that that person is, you know, experiencing and test and simulate and, and think about the issues it really is an incredible thing to be able to execute on all these all this data all this information and then come up with a solution that even the computer simulates and says best best chances is this one mm-hmm. try this one to me that power it's a superpower um because in this world the scientific method is really the only way we can accurately test and predict and move things forward and this ai and you know even quantum computing if you want to jump to there does all of that very fast and does it with the integrity of the scientific method so you know of course given what data set it's trained off of it has the ability to do so has if you know what it's been fed is correct so i think that you know if a student has the ability to identify quality artificial intelligence because just like all of us human beings, we have varying levels of intelligence. Same thing with artificial intelligence. And I think this is a conversation that not a lot of people quite, you know, I don't, I don't hear it enough, is that mm-hmm. artificial intelligence is only intelligent on the information it's given. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's, it doesn't know what it does not know, mm-hmm. just like a human being. 
So you have to make sure to be able to spot a dumb AI and a smart AI. So that's, I think, a benefit that a college, you know, that, that in my opinion, that's a future course is artificial intelligence and spotting its quality, being able to spot a deep fake or, you know, something like that. Being able, there's a new dynamic, a new dimension to digital literacy. Mm-hmm. And that, in my mind, is going to be a massive value to any student yeah. who has the ability to spot it, has the ability to think about it and say, you know, yeah, this came from an AI. But I'm still going to use my critical brain and say, is it a good AI? Let me look at the training data. Let me look at everything. And, you know, I believe people are going to become more technical. Mm-hmm. Um, and the universities that teach the technicality of it in all fields, that's going to be a massive benefit. Mm. Yeah, I think you're totally right on about, like, digital literacy and how, you know, colleges have a unique way and ability to teach critical thinking and to offer examples of what that digital and information literacy looks like and to give students that exposure again, you know, to figure out how they're using this this new technology in a, you know, mindful and thoughtful way. Yeah. How does so how does the university system plan on, you know, to kind of bring it full circle? How does retention and AI play? How does will AI do you see AI becoming a factor in selecting students? Mm. I'm so kind of where my role intersects with admissions and yeah. like selecting students. I, you know, select from the pool that our admissions department selects. So I, I'm not as involved in those conversations okay. about yeah. like AI and what they're looking at. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, AI was helping them select what markets they're marketing to and recruiting students from and thinking about like the types of information that might resonate with those students. And I, like, I definitely see that there is potential for AI. I'm just not as involved in that yeah. space yet and so i think that it'll be interesting to kind of talk to some colleagues and figure out like where they're at with yeah. that well because it's something that you know it's coming down the pike or mm-hmm. in some way it's changing the way that university systems and settings and landscapes are adapting mm-hmm. so yeah that's it's exciting to me because i you know at some point i'm probably going to have a kid and and that person that kid's going to enter into some maybe i don't know what they want to do but i'm going to probably push college but <laughs> So, you know, that's, I'm just wondering what that will look like. You know, by the time that comes around, how will the university system be different? And, mm-hmm. and will it be positive? And will it be able to encompass everything? Because, I mean, I think about this, the volume of information that we all have access to now. Mm-hmm. And how the ways, I think everyone is becoming very, very open and accepting of the idea that anything that is said to be factual and truth is to be scrutinized and, you know, you have to look at it critically and Mm -hmm. it's really becoming, I mean, as it always has been, everyone has the, to choose what they believe is fact and fiction, but now it's becoming like a lot of things are hard Mm. to not scrutinize and not say, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know because I have all this conflicting information and I think college, I think that it's, still stands true in colleges because you will go and you will receive information and you know there's stuff that I learned in college that you know was taught to me as strict like accounting like mm-hmm. that's not changing <laughs> accounting is not changing but in terms of you know some practices and and things that were at once um vogue are now 
no longer. You know, people don't use... A, this is a really random example, okay. but for instance, pie charts mm. and the use of pie charts. In college, I was learned never use a pie chart. God, I hate pie. Don't use pie charts. Mm. Well, that's all we use in the business world, or in, you know, not all we use, but most of a lot of the things we use are pie and bar charts, and scatter plots and all that. So, what, what my point is is that the college, what sometimes what they're teaching in college doesn't necessarily line up entirely with the real world Mm -hmm. because there's a lag i believe in terms of the teachers and and you know they've been in academia so long that now all of a sudden you know their teaching methods are becoming antiquated Mm -hmm. what they're teaching is becoming antiquated so this is all coming down to how is or how are universities i know it's hard to speak on this but how are universities teaching their staff and educating their staff and, and their faculty on adapting to the changing landscape of, you know, not only business, but also community engagement, mm-hmm. medical, um, you know, legal. How are, how are universities staying ahead of that curve to not become obsolete very quickly? Yeah, I think it's just like where we have to support our students in succeeding and, you know, meeting their needs. Like that's, you're right, like this is a need for staff to be lifelong learners and for faculty. And so, you know, it's supporting them going to conferences, supporting them, you know, trying out new things where they've read, you know, a peer-reviewed article and they want to try out this new strategy. Like it's trying new things out and supporting them, maybe failing too, you know, of, of trying out a new experiment. It's giving them time to you know, really reflect and connect with colleagues about different things. And so I think that there's a lot of ways that institutions can do that and, you know, helping them be involved in the community so that they can really see like, okay, you know, are the things that we're teaching still relevant and are the things that, you know, what we're teaching in the classroom still relevant to why we're doing it. And I think that's where community engagement plays a huge role in making colleges still relevant for, you know, making sure that students are still having good experiences, but also that like the staff and faculty that do that work, keeping them, you know, as experts in that experience too. Yeah. And also learning and listening to the students Mm -hmm. because if, if, you know, students weren't telling, you know, professors like, believe it or not, this essay or this whatever was written by an artificial intelligence that I found online. And they would say, you're kidding. No way. Because it sounds very, it sounds very sound in the logic and in the essay. It's like it was written by someone at their mm-hmm. grade level. So it's it, by teachers listening to their students, and I think not having a superiority about them. Mm-hmm. You know that helps the university stay abreast on everything. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's I'm I'm excited to see where university and college education is changing and and how it will continue its relevancy. How it will mm-hmm. continue to stay. Um, at the forefront because in my opinion in my social justice work there is nothing more powerful than education Mm -hmm. than teaching people and giving them the tools Mm -hmm. to read write arithmetic and making sure that people understand and have facts that they can critically look at they can address because education gives you that lens of saying "Mm, I, I need to look deeper and not mm-hmm. just taking something at face value. Yeah. And that's that in my mind is the way we move forward is through education. And I, I don't I don't like what I'm seeing right now of how people are like, no, I don't want I don't like it, you know, they're afraid of it. Mm-hmm. They don't like education. Like, 
No, you've... Yeah, then they're easier to control. So, oh, my God. I mean, and see, that's the irony of the argument that they're, that you know individuals are making. It's like you're surrendering your own ability to critically think whenever you say that because the whole idea that college is an indoctrination, it, no. You're exposing people to ideas like we talked about. That doesn't right. mean that they are adopting those ideas. You're you're examining you're kind of putting your you have a bag of marbles, a bag of ideas. You're putting those out there for people to see and you're you know, maybe you leave with the same exact marbles you came in with, but maybe you also exchange marbles or com- pick up a completely different group of marbles or ideas. You know, like that's something that we talk about often, you know, and like that we we want students to examine their beliefs. Just because you've grown up with one set of beliefs doesn't mean that's the set of beliefs that you have for the rest of your life, right? Like you like we were talking about with the story of, you know, and the experiences of immigration, like maybe you learn more information, you have a relationship or an experience that, you know, shows you that how you were taught to believe isn't correct and or isn't, you know, like the only reality that is true. And so you may change your beliefs and that's okay. You should change your beliefs. We're here to learn and grow too. Yeah, right. I, it, you know, I love it. With, I don't love it. I, I disagree so much when someone says, oh my God, you've changed. Well, duh. I'm a human. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm living life. Surprise, neuroplasticity is a thing and yeah. I experience stuff different every day. So, you know, to, to say something like that is just, no, it's not. Mm. I'm just not changing the way you want me to. Mm. That's where it really, that's where it is. And, you know, education and the impact that it has on someone's belief system is awesome. Because mm. truly, it really, I mean, we we will never be able to face and address the real issues of our time if people don't know about them. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, if they don't have the willingness to learn about mm-hmm. them and to challenge their own beliefs. Because in one of the one of the things that a lot of individuals I believe I believe butt up against is cognitive dissonance. Mm. It is so difficult to hear something that's completely diametric to what your belief system is and then be told, no, this is true. And and mm. honestly be presented with factual, you're looking on it, you're holding tangible evidence. And then this process of merge, trying to merge the two beliefs and say, oh, I can't, now I'm, I'm trying to rationalize this belief system with what I'm witnessing. And er, it's not working. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the first two years of college are difficult because in that process, your brain is rewiring. Your brain is trying now to make sense of this completely different way of thinking. So I think that's one of the reasons where mental health comes in with a, you know, an institution is ushering in this awareness. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, a, it would be smart, in my opinion, to prime students and say, listen, one of the things that you're going to experience is that you there's a possibility you're going to learn stuff here. You're going to go back to mom and dad and you're going to tell them about it. And then mom and dad are going to go, we don't believe that. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, you're. You're, you're being fed this information or it's not accurate. And now it creates cognitive dissonance within mm-hmm. the person. And it, it, it fucks with you deeply because now you don't know what to believe. So you lose sight of a lot of things. So I think that's one of the sources of mental health problems. And I know it's totally tangent, but... No, know. but I mean, it's connected to like when you are, you know, thinking about like what happens in college, like college is a space to have, you know, dialogue right like a lot of times we think about you know people having 
discussions and debates, but we don't often see people having dialogues where they are genuinely like understanding the other person's position, building a relationship and hearing that person's perspective out and not trying to change their mind. I think that like what you're describing with the parent situation, like that, that is often a case that our students are in, you know, and if they, you know, are not having dialogue in college, they're not going to gain that, you know, skill anywhere else. They're not getting it at home and certainly not in workplaces, you know, like it's important to get the skills in college for how you want to have productive and meaningful dialogue so that you can have that across your life too. Yeah, because that's one of the, that's something that people need to be able to do is disagree and then figure out why you're disagreeing and then be okay with it. Yeah, where's your common ground in that? I mean, the ability to compromise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's where higher education, and, you know, there is this idea, you know, in a lot of individual, in a lot of colleges that, you know, you have to, as soon as you begin to think one way, you have to force that belief on other people. And I've never met anyone that's been to college that thinks like that, Mm -hmm. that says, oh, you don't, you don't take my, my knowledge. Well, now I'm not going to talk to you. That's not my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've always met people that say, okay, well, why, you know, help me understand where you're coming from Mm -hmm. and vice versa, but you have to have that vice versa, Mm -hmm. right? You can't just be talking at, um, and so I think that it's a major detriment to people who are not able and willing to open their mm-hmm. mind and not willing to say, well, let's just have a conversation and see what we can get at and go from there. We don't have to solve the world's problems. We don't have to agree on the solution of the world's problems, but we're talking. Yeah. Foundama- foundation of democracy. You know, like I think that the college university system is one of the bedrocks of our American democracy. Yeah, that's that civic mission. Right? That's that civic yeah. mission. Exactly. Without that, we wouldn't we wouldn't have had the women's suffrage movement, for mm-hmm. example. Like all of that idea spreading power that college has goes out the window whenever you cut yourself off from even the idea of belief in yourself. Mm-hmm. Because that's what college gives you is the ability to stand on your own two feet with your own beliefs, defend your own beliefs concoct your own beliefs and then scrutinize your own beliefs Mm -hmm. it gives you all of that so it's very difficult to you know for your brain to come to terms with all those new tools because they're very hard hard to use at first but as soon as you do and you become comfortable with it you get good at communicating it you get good at you know figuring out those beliefs and running those beliefs through your own tuned and you know specific filter um so that and that filter is only going to get more complicated given Mm. all of the abilities that the internet has to just throw information our way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's, I know I was talking a lot there. I was in a ramble, but (laughs) yeah, that's, it's, it is very frustrating for me to, you know, have uh, people in my life that I spent four years you know, it's an experience and learning and being immersed Mm -hmm. in the stuff we're talking about. And they think they, you know, have the, the right answers. And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to tell you. I'm not trying to teach you or change your mind. I'm just trying to lay share. stuff. Yeah. Share a marble. Yeah. And, and, you know, that can be something frustrating too. Mm. A lot of, um, you know, college students I, 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 that I've spoken to have that problem. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, it's very isolating, you know. It's like college becomes all of a sudden the home because home doesn't feel... Mm-hmm. safe for your own conversation anymore it's interesting is that your experience is it 
Um, no. no, yeah. Like, I think my whole family grew a lot um, from my time in college. Like, I think that my, you know, values were clarified in in college and we started having a lot of conversations about like where our family beliefs were coming from and you know my mom is in education too so she was like primed for those conversations and I think that like you know we all kind of grew because I was learning and being exposed to new things so we were having conversations about things that we hadn't talked about when I was growing up and like that maybe you know one opinion was presented and that like that was presented as fact and instead of an opinion and things like that and so I think we all grew a lot and I so I feel very fortunate that like that was my experience and I know like you're saying not everybody has that experience but I think that it it can you know college does have the potential to also change different you know family dynamics too this is so simple um but what you just said right there in terms of something being an opinion being stated as a fact Mm. I just just clicked on me that 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 is a lot of people or a lot of times that's what I hear is mm-hmm. people stating an opinion as a fact and college one of the one of the I think gives you the ability to say that wasn't a fact that was an opinion you just said yeah and now I have the knowledge and the ability to say I don't agree because what you just said was your opinion not mm. the sky is blue <laughs> you know yeah. and and you think that what you just said is a fact but it's not and I'm willing and able and now mentally not afraid to say I don't agree Mm. and you know that that's the scary part whenever you begin to vocalize that and that's when you get kind of pushed out of some circles and your friends change and you become really isolated and and college does become a very lonely experience and because all of a sudden you hit this weird gray limbo of Mm. from what you used to, you know, your friend group, your family group that you used to hold, then, you know, you kind of hit, the, I don't want to call it an enlightenment because then it's pretending that these, your old group was dumb, but that's not true. They just have a different set of experiences. Mm-hmm. But you go through this gulf of, you know, this gray limbo of changing beliefs and cognitive dissonance and rationalizing everything and trying to figure, find meaning amongst everything, mm-hmm. saliency, right? And then you come out on the other side and you're like, yeah, I don't need to find meaning in everything, but I can at least scrutinize it and I can have my own beliefs. And I'm okay with being alone and I'm okay with holding those beliefs and I'm okay with allowing new ones in and defending my own and meeting common ground. So yeah, that's my opinion where college, that's the big benefit. Whenever you come to graduation, like that's one of the biggest tools you leave with is the ability to defend your beliefs, accept new beliefs, and then compromise. Your own beliefs with other people's. Yeah, those are big things and I think big themes for lifelong learning and building communities. Like all of those things that you're talking about really play into how you are a human and like knowing yourself and knowing others. So, yeah. And honestly, that's, that's a great way to end because I feel that, you know, there's... Stetson's a liberal arts institution, mm-hmm. which means that humanities are a big part. And it's not just about being able to, you know, do calculus or, or do accounting or, or, you know, have civic, you know, political classes. And it's about the humanity. Mm-hmm. It's about, in Stetson, I've always valued the mission of, you know, enriching the student's life, mm-hmm. you know, saying that, yes, your time here will end, you will go on. But we hope that in your time here, you learn and you take things with you that give you the ability to live 
better. Mm. Not better in terms of agreeing with us, but better in terms of maybe it might be a little easier. Your thought process might be a little clearer. Your ability to rationalize a little bit sharper. That's one of the one of the big things I got in graduation mm. was the plane flies a bit smoother knowing how to take the bumps. Mm. The turbulence. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, once again, this is Taylor Hibble and she's an amazing person. Um, and I thank you very much for, you know, coming on the show. We definitely probably will have another conversation mm. later down the road. Um, very excited to see, you know, your progress and, and how Stetson grows and how you're at the helm of the Bonner program here. Um, and I really appreciate your time and thank you so much. Ditto. Thank you for the opportunity. Just always a joy to spend time with you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Definitely. It's awesome being back back here. It's good times. So anyways, thank you so much. Yay. All right. <laughs>